Again, the one-two. Got it. Hey everyone, welcome to At The Letters, presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. I'm Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you in Toronto. We're going to get to a lot of Jay's topics today after their first stretch of the season, not quite a week. And Arden, you are in New York covering the team uh, as they play their first road series of the year. So how's it going? Good, man. Good. It's good to uh, be back to sort of covering this sport as normal a little bit, right? Two years of you know sitting at the kitchen table staring at a a zoom uh meeting it's nice to be back here in person yeah it's a massive difference like i think even just being in the clubhouse felt kind of weird but also really familiar at rogers center we've obviously spent a lot of time in that clubhouse over the years and then just kind of be in there having the chance to talk to guys a little bit less formally than over zoom like it's odd how zoom in a way becomes a bit of a formal experience where you're putting up your hand and you know it just takes away some of those natural exchanges absolutely and and i think honestly the the coverage can only benefit like i just think that i'm producing better work now than i was over the last two years just with more access so i think fans gonna be more connected to the game and they're gonna know more about what's going on with the blue jays everybody wants yeah, put it this way. I don't think that there are going to be a lot of requests to go back to Zoom from anyone involved in that process. So good to be connected to the team in that way. And, you know, it's it's been an interesting start here. I mean, five games in as we record this on Wednesday morning. What do you take away from this team? Big picture from what we've seen in the first few games here. I think the Blue Jays have to be happy with it, right? Sort of feel like they've come away with what they've deserved in a weird way, right? Like you take two or three from the rangers on the weekend and blue jays gave up a whole bunch of runs in that series um scored a a few runs themselves so i think two or three is like a pretty fair outcome from that and as we sit here right now it's 9 a.m on wednesday april the 13th the blue jays are one and one in new york in one game where they pitched rather well and the offense was okay in another game where uh coughed up some runs in the offense didn't get much going so like if you're the blue jays i think you're you're pretty happy as much as we can even like micro analyze these first five games i think you're you're okay with the results so far yeah the results are sort of what you would have expected to be three and two after five games that's pretty much within the realm of what you'd think for a very good baseball team which we of course believe the blue jays are so I think that part of it makes sense at times on the weekend. Like I was struck by the offense, like when they were just piling on home runs. We haven't seen that against the Yankees so far, but against Texas at home. I mean, you see Springer, Jansen before he got injured. We'll get to that. You see Vladdy going yard, Bo. Like it's so clear, you know, to see it in actual games is is just a real reminder. Chapman, of course, with his first home run as a J, like this offense is going to be so potent. It's a deep offense, and especially when we'll get to Jansen, like you said, but when Danny Jansen is pulling balls out of the yard from like the nine hole and Santiago Espinal's hitting eighth and coming up with multiple hits, like it is just relentless, right? And you think about who's hitting after those guys. Oh, it's only George Springer. <laughs> Springer with a drive to deep left field, and the Blue Jays have the early lead on his first home run of the season. 
Martin, and then you go through Bichette, Guerrero, Teoscar, Lourdes, I mean, Alejandro Kirk. There's no place to take a break, like as an opposition starter, really, in this lineup. Not that I don't know that there ever really is against a big league lineup, but there's no breathers in there for, for anybody who's encountering this team. Yeah, what do you make of Espinal? Because, you know, you look at what he's been able to do, and obviously he showed up in great shape, really good defense too. We continue to see that from him. And then now he's making really good contact. Like we're seeing some, some exit velos from Espinal that are higher than what he ever did in his career until this point. So, you know, clearly he's making really good contact. At the same time, it's only five games, but the Jays appear to be letting him run with that job to some extent. Yeah, like it's so tough at this point in the year, right? Because you don't want to draw any sort of conclusions, broad or narrow, off of what we've seen. Because like you said, it's five games. It's the smallest sample of all samples, but we still have to show up here and talk about the team, right? So yeah, the, the exit velos are real, and that is like measurable progress, and that is tangible, and that demonstrates that the 15 pounds that and 15 pounds plus really that that espinal put on over the winter and people will mistakenly say 15 pounds of muscle it's not all muscle that's not how body composition works you gain both muscle and fat there's no way to only gain muscle and not gain fat when you're putting on weight just like when you're losing weight there's no way to only lose fat and not lose muscle there's obviously different percentages in there but that's extremely nitpicky thing for me but yeah i remember i wrote about this in spring about how santiago espinal put on weight about the work he did with Jeremy Chang, the Blue Jays' head of uh, nutrition, and with Scotty Weber, who's their head of strength and conditioning, set him up with a plan for the offseason. And Santiago Espinal stuck to it throughout the lockout, which was huge because he couldn't talk to Scott Weber and Jeremy Chang at that time. Like he couldn't have contact right. with them. So he had to run this thing on his own. And he's got his own trainer that he was working with in Florida, obviously. So I think that was a big benefit just in terms of sticking to sort of the three to four week cycles and when to deload, like how to kind of get that hypertrophic work in in the gym. But nutrition-wise, like he had to be eating a ton, right? And he had to be really on top of that. And he's going to have to continue to throughout the season so that he maintains these gains that he's made and so that he doesn't taper off and lose weight as the season goes on. And maybe those exit velos start trending back down. Um, I think for him, just with his frame, it's always been tough to keep muscle on, to keep weight on. So that's going to be interesting to look at. But yeah, like the the exit velos are real. They're there. The bat to ball ability has always been real with him. And I think the Blue Jays came into this season thinking Espinal and Biggio would be in somewhat of a platoon at second base. And I think that right now Espinal's hand is so hot that you just ride it because he's earned that playing time. But I don't think that means Kevin Biggio won't have a role to play on this team. And I still see many avenues for Biggio to get up to 300 plate appearances on the season. Like he's going to play. Somebody's going to get hurt. Biggio's going to end up playing some corner outfield or Espinal's going to end up playing some third base and Biggio will end up at second. Like both these players are going to make contributions to this team. I just think right now Espinal is so hot that if you're Charlie Montoya, you, you just have to put him in the lineup at second base every night. Yeah, I think he's definitely going to get a lot of play there. Biggio, for sure. Like, he deserves to play, too. You want to see what you have in him. He can be a really useful player with his on-base skills and with his power. I don't think that there's a lot of doubt that they'll be able to find ways for him to get into that lineup pretty regularly. Like, even now, if, if Espinal's playing, let's say, five or six days in the coming week, I think you can still find Biggio a day at first base when Vladdy's DHing or a day at second when you have Espinal covering at third, for instance. Whatever you want to do. 
there are ways to get Calvin Biggio in there. So I, I definitely agree it's not a one or the other situation for those guys. Um, but encouraging for the Jays to see Espinal kind of stepping up and giving that lineup some length because it is a, a potent group when they're all firing. So, you know, he also brings the defensive aspect because of the two, Espinal's probably the better defender compared to Kevin Biggio. And so we saw this on the opener. I guess that would have been Monday night in New York. But, you know, to me, Arden, that was one of the better defensive games top to bottom that we've seen from the Blue Jays. Man, when we've talked about Blue Jays defense for the last few years, it typically has not been a positive conversation. It typically hasn't been, wow, this team is playing well defensively. But they really are playing well defensively right now. You look at the two plays that Bo Bichette made on the infield in the opener against the Yankees were as good of plays as I've seen Bo Bichette make ever. <laughs> and I've been watching them for a while. Ground ball up the middle. Espinal the second for one. Bichette the first. What a double play! Oh my! Right there. I don't know if it came across on TV, but being here and seeing it, like those balls were scorched. The one that got past Matt Chapman's glove at third and Bo picked up in the hole, made an insane throw to first base, accurate. And then the double play with Bichette and Espinal at second, Bichette with a little pirouette, getting the throw to first. I mean, those grounders were absolutely scorched. There was no room for inefficiency in Bo Bichette's movements defensively, and he just nailed them. And I promise you, that is the product, and I know this because I've watched him do it, that is the product of just relentless practice, of just insane hard work every single day over the period of years. It wasn't that long ago that basically anybody you asked in baseball would say, yeah, Bo Bichette's probably going to be a second baseman. It's tough to see him sticking it short. And now he's making, like, premium plays defensively at shortstop in the big leagues again all the caveats five games small sample we'll see how it holds up over the course of the season but these are plays that he wasn't making prior to this season and that is due to the work ethic that he has shown in improving defensively and ben i know you saw it like i did in florida every day Bo Bichette on those on that covered infield working on ground balls every morning before the sun is up, working with Louis Rivera, working with Danny Solano, the Blue Jays infield coordinator on getting better. That work is continuing into the season before every game. If you're there early enough, you're going to see Bo Bichette, Santiago Espinal, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., all the Blue Jays infielders like going through extensive ground ball practice before BP. The Blue Jays have this like fleet of $3,000 pitching machines at Rogers Center that they are using to fire ground balls at these guys. Because, like, look, it's one thing to take a ground ball off a fungo from a, you know, coach in his 50s. It's another from a pitching machine at close range that can get up to 90 miles per hour. Like, that is a much more game like repetition. That's much more useful practice. And the Blue Jays are going through that every single day this year. Even on the road, they truck one of these pitching machines with them wherever they go on the road, loading it onto the charter. You'll see like Gil Kim and uh, you know John Schneider, whatever other coach he pulls out to like haul this thing up the stairs out of the dugout and set it up on the field. Because that practice, that diligent work, is I think what is producing the results that we're seeing defensively on the Blue Jays infield 
right now. Like it is a big development for this club, just considering where its defense has been in prior seasons. Yeah, it's a big shift for sure. I mean, even last year, you know, we're talking about Boba Shet and some of the errors. I think he had more errors than any shortstop in 2021. So, and, and a lot of that was early in the season. So, you know, Bichette was trying to overcome some of those difficulties. He was trying to find a better rhythm defensively, and he did find that toward the end of last year. And then moving into this year, it's been better. So that's encouraging to see. And, and like you say, it's definitely a product of that work behind the scenes for Bichette, for those other infielders. It's interesting. Like to me, in that very same game, the opener Monday, Bichette did have some throws that were offline. So I see the throwing accuracy as something that he has to work on. I don't see him as a finished product in that respect. When he's making Vladdy drift toward home plate, toward the base runner charging in, you know, you've got your Stanton, you've got any base runner. I mean, if they're moving at that speed in that situation, you don't want Vladdy exposed to anyone. So, you know, that's going to happen from time to time. No one's expecting perfection here. And Vladdy actually has shown like really good footwork around the bag. He looks better defensively to me. Um, when I see him going back for pop-ups, when I see him adjusting to bad throws from defenders or f- to mediocre throws from defenders, he seems to be able to move his feet really well. He seems to be able to react on the fly. Those are things that we didn't necessarily see from him. So I'm seeing Vladdy, you know, even helping out Bo a little bit in ways that he might not have before, but it's almost reminiscent of, you know, you think back to Justin Smoke and how he would help corral throws from Josh Donaldson in years past and really make sure that, you know, if if Donaldson was was throwing errantly, which he did again on on Tuesday night, um, then you'd have someone there who can handle it and who can save his teammate a few errors. Yeah, we forget that they're twenty three and twenty four, right? Like people are like, wow, Vlad and Bo are getting so much better. Yeah, they're in their early twenties. <laughs> they're still growing as ball players. Like they're still developing. Alejandro Kirk, wow, is so much better receiving the low strike, and he's really seems like he's making gains behind the plate. Yeah, because he's 23. He had very little professional experience coming into his major league debut. These guys got to the majors at such young ages. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is in his fourth MLB season. He's 23. He's the youngest player on the on the 28-man roster. I mean, it's easy to forget just considering the accomplishments that we've seen from them at the big league level and how good Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. are at a young age and also just the way they carry themselves as well. Like Bo Bichette's been carrying himself as a like 10 year MLB veteran since he was like 16 or whatever, taking BP at, you know, uh, at Coors field. But these guys are getting better because they're in their early twenties and they're not finished products. And they're, I don't know, maybe touching their primes, like maybe just entering it. But I mean, what's a typical prime for an MLB ball player, right? 25 to 29 somewhere in there i know it's kind of shifting earlier now as as the game continues but these guys still have a lot of years to continue to improve i don't think we've seen the best from them just yet yeah i definitely think they're entering their prime like it's hard to imagine that this is not part of their prime with what they did last year and what they're showing this year but certainly there's room for kind of improving around the edges and and really i mean defense to be fair that's not the edges that's a core part of their game and they're still improving there. And I think as long as we're talking defense, like I think we should mention Teoscar Hernandez because to me, I have not seen a better stretch of, and I know it's only five games, right? But I have not seen a better stretch of five games defensively from Teoscar than what we've seen. I mean, he's making diving catches. He's making catches at the wall. He's making great throws, good judgment calls. Like 
you could not ask for better defense than what you've seen from Teoscar uh, in the first stretch of games here. And think about the players we're talking about here, right? Think about the conversation around Teoscar Hernandez's defense, like three, four yeah. seasons ago. Think about, like I mentioned with Bo Bichette, nobody thought he could stick as a shortstop. Think about the conversation about Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s defense, Alejandro Kirk's defense, right? Like we're talking about players who have been derided for their work defensively, who have now made like very real gains that we are seeing, like I said, by a product of like really hard, diligent, uncompromising work. Like it doesn't happen by accident. You don't just roll out of bed like, oh, all of a sudden I'm a capable big league right fielder. Like Teoscar Hernandez has had to work at this. Like he's had to put in the time. Um, the, th- the biggest thing I'm seeing for Teoscar right now, he's just more aggressive, I think. I think he's probably just doubting himself a little bit less in the outfield. He's just going and getting it and thinking less and reacting. I think that you could kind of see him processing earlier in his career and kind of thinking through things, not only in the field, at the plate as well, right? And I think that a big advancement for him, because he's always had the physical tools, he's always been fast, he's always been strong, exit velos have always been there, sprint speed. I think it's just been mentality. I think it's just been between the years. It's a hard thing for us to say, not knowing what's going on inside a player's head, right? And, and you know, not having any kind of measurable, quantifiable data based on mentality. But you talk to enough people around the Blue Jays, enough people around Teoscar Hernandez, and they'll tell you, yeah, that's it, right? So it is just a, a mentality thing with him. Like a little note on him was he, he did bang up his wrist a little bit, mm-hmm. making one of those, those plays that uh, I guess it was in the opener here in the Bronx. All the days are kind of blurring together re-aggravated that injury from spring training you might remember that he he was out with that injury for a while and just ended up bending his wrist the wrong way so it was already a little bit compromised and now he's re-aggravated it still playing still putting the ball in play at a you know a high rate of speed um it's kind of interesting like he's not in a position where he can actually tape the wrist up right now because the pressure actually creates discomfort so you're not going to see it taped but it is something to monitor because if he crashes into a wall or you know bends his wrist the wrong way on a sliding grab again or something you might see him wincing and and this might be a a situation that has to be managed going forward with him it's going to be interesting to watch it play out for sure now before we move on to the rotation and the Danny Jansen situation. As long as we're talking defense here, I mean, it's it's clear Alejandro Kirk is going to be catching a lot for this team. You alluded to it, Arden. You know, where do you think Kirk is at defensively? Because he's going to be the guy, really, behind the plate for this team. And there have been questions about him and what he can offer to this point in his career. So, you know, what are the coaches, players, what's your read on how confident the Jays are in Kirk and, and what he brings defensively? Yeah, he's getting a lot better and i think a lot of it is just coming into his own as a as a big leaguer i mean he got to the majors at such a young age and he had so little experience when he did reach the majors in 2020 during the pandemic season um and even still right like he's played off the top of my head it was like 70 something mlb games at this point had my story the other day and it was fewer than 50 as a starting catcher at the big league level that is so little experience and it's not like this guy had this massive minor league come up like this really long deliberate gradual rise the guy didn't play above high a before he got to the majors and he only played like 120 minor league games and then boom you're in the big leagues like that's how good his bat was right and that's how much the blue jays needed it in 2020 but blue jays sacrificed some development in order to get that impact on their big league roster so we're 
seeing those developmental gains come at the big league level. And part of that is just comfort um, for Alejandro Kirk, not only with like kind of speaking his mind in pitchers and catchers meetings and, and giving feedback and, and input, but even just the language. Like his English has improved yeah. a lot over the last several years. So now like the terminology and the communication is improving. Like that's been a big thing. And it's something that we don't really necessarily consider. But the guy's learning a second language on the fly at the big league level while trying to catch a Cy Young winner. It's like it's it's wild the amount of, of pressure that this guy is under to improve and get better. And I think that, you know, the one thing you really look at where Alejandro Kirk excels defensively is framing low strikes. Everybody's gonna put different weights into the the metrics that are out there different values like your mileage your mileage is going to vary on how much framing statistics matter to you but per baseball savant i mean alejandro kirk is the best framer of low pitches in the majors which is a very interesting thing to see and that's over a pretty decent sample size too in in 2021 like it's not it's kind of a freak small thing so and that kind of backs up like you go back and and i looked at a bunch of the video and threw a bunch of the gifts in a piece recently and i was like wow yeah he really does receive well at the bottom of the zone like there's there is some proof there and then what's really interesting is to look at this blue jays rotation and i went back and i'm going to jumble these numbers off the top of my head but it was in the the piece i wrote recently at sportsnet.ca you look at some of these blue jays starters that bottom of the zone strike is so important to them. If you go to 2021, like among qualified starters, Jose Barrios, Kevin Gosman, and Yusei Kikuchi were all like 95th percentile in called strikes at the bottom of the zone. And like Hunjin Ryu was not that far off either. Like these were really, really important pitches for these guys. And you can see it, right? With Barrios, with obviously that curveball down, Gosman, the splitter speaks for itself. Kikuchi, the the split change and the slider down in the zone. Like low strikes are really important for these guys. Called low strikes really, really important. So it is kind of interesting that the how Alejandro Kirk works in with that and what these guys are trying to do in the rotation. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, definitely some strengths to kind of build on there and some skills he's still trying to develop. I mean, I think the language thing is so interesting because you've got someone in Ryu whose you know, English is limited. Kikuchi, same thing. And then Kirk. And so, you know, the pitch comm technology is kind of interesting there. And the Jays seem to be using that. So, you know, we'll see where, where that leads as far as Kirk, his placement on this team. But overall, a good defensive start for this ball club. When we come back, we will get to the starting pitching. We'll talk a little bit more catching. All coming your way on At The Letters. Welcome back to At The Letters. Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you. Arden Zwelling joining us from New York. It is time now for Keeping It Light, presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. And Arden, as we sit here discussing the Blue Jays right now, they are one turn through the rotation. We've seen all five of their starting pitchers, and the results have been mixed. I mean, we saw a really good start from Manoa. Barrios was knocked out very early. Kikuchi had some struggles. Ryu had some struggles. Um, who am I missing there? Gosman was pretty good. So, you know, you've got 
a relatively strong rotation on paper. I mean, it should be a very strong group, and they've underwhelmed so far. So one time through the rotation, what's your biggest takeaway from this group? There's like a million different ways we can go with this, because each start has been so interesting and you get you touched on it and alluded to it there like honestly i could just dive in on any of those five but i'll go with alec manoa just because it does relate to what we were talking about in the first half with young players still developing at the big league level and getting very good or getting better i should say and us forgetting how young they are and and where they're still at in their big league careers similar to kirk with manoa so little minor league experience very little major league experience a guy who's still growing into himself as as a professional athlete as a ball player and a guy who is rapidly improving alec manoa has a much better changeup this season than he did last and than he has at any point in his life. And we'll see if that continues. But if he's able to throw his changeup the way he was in that outing against the Yankees the other night, holy smokes, does that open up so many new avenues for him? Because, I mean, he was throwing this thing in any count. First pitch, ahead in the count, behind in the count, Obviously, predominantly against lefties, but threw it to Giancarlo Stanton as well and got him to pop it up. I mean, if he's going to use this thing to both sides of the platoon, are you kidding me? Moving in a different direction than his slider. It's got better action on it this year. He tweaked the grip with it over the offseason. He's added RPMs to his spin on it. And Alec Manoa just looks so much more confident throwing it. And that outing against the Yankees the other night, he threw it more on a percentage basis than he did in any of his starts last season. So, like, we knew Alec Manoa's second trip through the league, hitters were going to make adjustments, books out on him, teams know what he likes to do, they know what he has, all the video and the data is there. There are quite literally teams of advanced scouts and analysts pouring over his video and data from opposition organizations trying to find ways to beat him. And Alec Manoa is staying ahead of those adjustments by adding another pitch and changing the way that he sequences and changing the way that he attacks hitters and turns the lineup over two, three times. That's huge, man. Like just seeing the way that he threw that pitch against the Yankees and the way that he again dominated a lineup that is very familiar with them, a lineup that saw him a ton last season was so, so impressive. So I can't imagine Alec Manoa starting his sophomore year any better than he did here in the Bronx. Well, and sometimes you think about, you know, second year in the in the major leagues, could a player slump, you know, whether whether it's because the league is adjusting to him or it's tough to just repeat that level on a physical level. Manoa came out throwing hard, so the velocity is there, the slider's there, the changeup, like you said. I mean, that's a big difference maker. To have three pitches that are average to plus, I mean, that's the territory where you're a frontline arm. And he really was that for most of last season. But as he enters his first full season in the majors, you know, he's got now the tools in the arsenal to be a frontline pitcher. And it's there's just not really any debate on that. You look at the quality of those pitches and, you know, it's really tough to forecast anything but continued, you know, excellent performances from from Manoa as long as he's healthy. Because, you know, that combination, fastball slider changeup, those are the makings of a really, really tough night for the opposition. And like you said, mixing in some right-on-right change-ups, using that against lefties, he's going to be really tough on the American League East this year. 
And I think Alec would differentiate actually between his four seamer and his two seamer. So he would actually say he's got four pitches, right? Like he would say he's got the four seam fastball that's a, a bit flatter, and then the the two seamer that's going to dive a little bit. Maybe won't be up to like ninety six like the four seamer is, but he got swinging strikes with all four of his pitches against the Yankees, and you're gonna have results like that when you are throwing four pitches in the zone competitively and you are like sequencing in different ways and changing up your looks like Alec Manoa got a little bit skyshot in that outing right like lost the zone at times but I mean he's just got so many weapons and he's just got such an aggressive approach that he's able to overcome that like you can be a little bit scattershot if your stuff is also going to be as effective as his is so I, I think you put it really well like having another plus weapon just raises the ceiling to such an extent with him and like we're still learning about Alec Manoa at the big league level right like it's still very young not just in his big league career just in his professional baseball life guy who came to pitching pretty late guy who at West Virginia was like just a big fastball and a bunch of competitiveness right the slider wasn't what it is now where he's like going ball to strike with it or he's landing it on the the edges i mean he is just making the kind of advancements that can lead to like you said that frontline starter outcome a lot of work to get there but he's layering in the tools that he needs to be that guy that's a massive development for the blue jays and it's a good thing that it showed up in week one because otherwise the rotation was pretty underwhelming. It really wasn't great. I mean, Gosman was, he was fine. That's, you know, what you'd expect. Good stuff, went through five innings. That's good. You know, that's that's the kind of performance you're looking for. They won that game. But then, you know, Abrios, Kikuchi, and Ryu, that's kind of an offer. I mean, none of those guys really gave the Jays competitive starts. I would say all three, to my eye, were underwhelming. I'm sure you get asked this all the time as well. But, you know, it's like, the question of whether it's concerning to me is like, we're not there. You know, it's these guys are veterans. The reason that they went into this season as, you know, one of the best rotations in baseball on paper is because they've done it before. We're not wondering if they can do it. The proof of concept exists. They can succeed in the major leagues with the stuff that they have, with the knowledge and, and skills that they have. So it's not to me concerning necessarily. I think that to, to get to concern, we're probably talking you know, beginning of May, they've made three, four starts and we're seeing this consistently, that's when you get to concern. But we can still observe. And so when you're watching those starts for Brios, Kikuchi, and Ryu, what do you observe? What stands out? I mean, is there one guy there where you saw any kind of yellow flags that would, I'm not saying give you fully fledged concern, but are you seeing any warning signs there? Well, so based off of a first start of the season like you kind of throw out results and you go process right like what produced the results and that's where the concern would come from like if jose barrios was on the mound and like topping out at 91 yeah <laughs> that would be concerning right if you say kikuchi same thing if his fastball was like low 90s if hunjin reviews is mid 80s like that would be concerning or if there was if you could kind of see them on the mound in discomfort right if you could see a bunch of wincing or yeah that would be concerning we didn't see any of that with any of these guys there's zero reason for concern with jose barrios it's early wednesday morning right now i don't know what he's done in the outing that he's gonna have tonight i expect him to bounce back with hunjin ryu the velo wasn't quite there but wasn't that bad 
you know i mean i just he just kind of was good until he wasn't right like he was pretty vintage for his first um i don't know trip and a half basically i mean you were covering that game three he was he was good for three innings he was pretty good for three innings and then it kind of it kind of fell apart there on him and we saw that a little bit in 21 where things would snowball a little bit with his outings so i think the blue jays will learn from that with just like how much rope they're giving him and just kind of who's prepared in the bullpen behind him like the days of Hunjin Ryu carrying this rotation are over like that's obvious it's not 2020 anymore when the Blue Jays signed up for four years of Hunjin Ryu they knew they were buying into some decline like they knew his age <laughs> they knew his track record and the miles like they understood all of that and that's why they didn't come into 2022 like they did 2020 where it was like Hunjin Ryu's our ace and he's going to carry our rotation. No, they went out and got a Brios and got a Kevin Gosman, right? Like they, you know, Hunjin Ryu, if he is your number four in this rotation, your number five, something like that. Like, and if he's just giving you five and dive here and there, if he's giving you two trips through most time out, I think you're okay with that. Forget the price tag forget what his salary is doesn't matter blue jays are running a record high payroll they've got plenty of high paid veterans on this on this roster he's not stopping them from doing anything else and you know i think ryu is probably going to have closer to a league average season but that's fine if the innings are there you'll take that and then with kikuchi it was just a weird mixed bag of an outing, man, because he comes out and he's throwing all these sliders and not using his fastball and, and not using his cutter as much. And it was kind of curious. And you could see that the Yankees were understanding what Kikuchi was doing because they were clearly sitting on sliders. Um, and he got Yankee stadiumed a little bit with the Hicks two run bomb, which was a home run in Yankee stadium and Yankee stadium only anywhere else, literally 29 other ballparks. That's a fly ball. But like, there was a lot of hard contact yeah. off that slider in the early going. And then suddenly three innings in Kikuchi's like, I'm going to throw my fastball a whole bunch now. And had much better results because his heater's electric, man. Like mid nineties from the left side. Like, we don't really say enough how uncommon it is to have left-handed starters who throw as hard as you say Kikuchi does. You say Kikuchi's forcing fastball, which he actually ended up using more than any other pitch in that outing here in New York on Tuesday. Wasn't put in play once. To throw your fastball that often and not have it be put in play, like that's a good fastball. Yeah. It was just kind of strange the game plan that he came out with where he was whipping all these sliders that were just like kind of falling into the right handed hitters, like happy zone. And then he was a lot better when he moved into the fastball and and then was up against his pitch count and he was only gonna throw eighty five, got to eighty four and was out of the game. So like, it was just such a such an odd mixed bag with Yusei Kikuchi. It's hard to even know what to make of it but we know that this is a process with him and the blue jays are asking him to make a ton of adjustments he's moved on the rubber he's tweaked his mechanics they're trying to get him to use different pitches at different parts of the zone more cutters into righties sliders tunneled off fastballs split changes and two strike counts like he is working on a lot of adjustments and he worked on all of them with danny jansen this spring and then danny jansen picked up an oblique injury two days before he was going to catch Kikuchi's debut. And now all of a sudden he's working to Tyler Heineman, who wasn't even on the roster. So it's a work in progress right. <laughs> with Kikuchi, but it's not dull. I'll give you that. It is yeah. going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah. And I think ultimately, you know, new catcher or not tough stadium or not, you got to produce results. Like Yankee stadium is one of those parks. 
sometimes you're not going to have your preferred catcher. And if you're Garrett Cole, if you're, you know, even Alec Manoa, you're going to find a way to get those results anyways, because that's part of the sport. That's part of the adversity. And so, you know, I'm not giving Kikuchi a free pass there. I think he certainly, you know, made some adjustments in game, as you said, which is encouraging. I think, too, for both him and Ryu, you're seeing some hard contact and really hard contact off the bats of the opponents is just never a good sign. Not that you're, you know, reading too much into it because it is just one game. Um, and you mislocate a few pitches and these hitters are really good. So they're going to make you pay for that. But, you know, with those two, you don't like to see the hard contact. It's not like they're just, you know, some little dribblers um, that are sneaking through. It's not like you have just these little bloopers. You have that play in left field that Lourdes made on the day Kikuchi started. And, you know, that's that's a really good catch that could easily have gone for extra bases as well. So, you know, with those two guys, I think there's a little bit of, okay, let's see where this hard contact goes. Let's see, you know, how much hard contact they're allowing. But to me with Barrios, I'm just kind of like, it was such a big moment. And we talked to to Barrios about this on, on At The Letters. Like that was a moment that he was looking forward to. It was a moment that meant a lot to him for the city. It was not lost on him that it was a huge moment for the Blue Jays. And I just think it's or not even a matter of opinion. He said after the fact, he was trying to be too perfect. He was trying to be too nasty. And so that's understandable in the circumstance. And moving forward, I expect nothing but, you know, frontline results from Barrios. And his stuff was nasty yeah. that night, man. His breaking ball is like, it's just fun to watch. His breaking ball is so good. And yeah, I think he was just probably overthrowing a little bit and probably just needs to just take a little bit off, right? Like you hear sometimes fighters uh, go back to their corners and and like a Trevor Whitman will say to him, like, just take 10% off your punches. I remember he said that Justin Gaethje once. Take 10% off your punches. And Gaethje went out and all of a sudden it was like so much better in the next round because he just wasn't trying to knock the guy's head off with every shot, right? He's just being more technical and precise. I think that's similar to what Jose Barrios needs to do. And yeah, he was probably just a little too amped up for that start, right? I think everybody who was in that ballpark yeah. was very amped up. Like, hard not to be. A, a hell of an environment, man. Yeah. So look, I may eat these words, but as I sit here on the morning of Wednesday, April 13th, I think Jose Barrios is going to be very good against the New York Yankees here on Wednesday evening. I think he's going to bounce back, and I think that you're going to see the guy that we've seen over the last, I guess it's five, six years, where he has not missed a start. He's been one of the most consistent and durable, reliable starters across MLB. He's up against Garrett Cole, so it's going to be a really cool matchup. To like, I'm really actually pretty juiced for this game. Like, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. It's quite a matchup, and like Jose Brios is not on the Garrett Cole level of results, but he is on the level of like consistency and bringing it in competitiveness. And uh, I honestly, just the more I think about it right now, like I actually cannot wait to watch this game. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, good matchup for sure. All right, that is it for Keeping It Light. When we come back on At The Letters, we'll talk about Danny Jansen, his absence, and potentially what that could mean for the Jays' biggest prospect. Welcome back to At The Letters, presented by Miller Light, the original light beer. Arden, uh, we touched on the catching a little bit here with Alejandro Kirk and his increased role, but we didn't actually get to Danny Jansen. And, you know, for Jansen coming into the year, he had really finished strong in 2021. He was determined to play a lot of games. He told me he wanted to set a career high. He wanted to play 120 plus and really establish himself. 
And then he got off to a good start at the plate. I mean, he was hitting some home runs. He was making some really good contact. And now he's dealing with an oblique issue. So it sounds like he's going to be out for, you know, a month might be a, a decent estimate. Obliques are, are typically injuries that take weeks and weeks as opposed to days. So, you know, for Jansen and his kind of progression in his career here, what do you make of this as he tries to, you know, establish himself, but now he's he's on the sidelines? Yeah, this isn't going to be a quick absence, unfortunately. Like every injury is different. Every athlete recovers uh, at different rates, but with an oblique for a catcher, typically like you can look back towards, um, I looked it up, I mean, Cal Higashioka had one recently. Mike Zunino had one recently. Both those guys were right around four weeks on the longer end of the spectrum i think luke maley had one that was like two months i think a reasonable expectation is four weeks at least like that's probably a best case scenario four weeks realistically but we'll we'll see we'll see what happens right surprises come at you in, in various ways but like so from jansen's perspective yeah that sucks big time because it looked like he was hot he was feeling really good at the plate it actually happened on his final swing of the game on Sunday, like literally his, of course, right? Your final swing of the game. This is, you know, where this comes up. And, uh, you know, he tried everything he could to find a way to, to play through this thing, but it's just not smart to do that at this point in the season. Look, if it's September, maybe this is a different story, right? Teoscar Hernandez had an oblique thing yeah. late in the season recently and came back very quickly. But I mean, he was not in a good place when he came back. He came back at a point where he probably shouldn't have been playing, but he was trying to help you know, and contribute to a, a playoff team, right? So with Jansen, the Blue Jays are going to be cautious with this. He's so important to them. There's no reason to rush him back. Yeah, it sucks for Danny Jansen, obviously, because of the start he was off to, but then like more globally for the Blue Jays, it's like, wow. Now you're catching sort of trifecta in the majors is Alejandro Kirk, who we talked about earlier, you know, has the trust of this pitching staff, certainly, but still vastly inexperienced, still learning at the big league level. He's still going to be making mistakes. Yes, he is good at framing at the bottom of the zone, but he still needs to get better game calling, still needs to get better at blocking pitches, still needs to get better at receiving up in the zone. And then you got Tyler Heineman and Zach Collins as uh, basically your quote-unquote backups. And you're probably going to see those guys playing based on based on matchups, right? Based on, you know, like probably Collins uh, against righties and Heineman against lefties. But Collins not a defensive first catcher, very much a bat first guy. Heineman, you know, has a good reputation defensively, but we saw a rather costly mistake made in Tuesday's game where he airmailed a pickoff throw to first base into right field and the run scored. It's it's not an ideal situation for the Blue Jays, and it's something that's going to have to be managed carefully going forward. Because look, Alejandro Kirk can't catch every day. There were already durability concerns about Alejandro Kirk catching at the rate that he was prior to this because his body composition is, uh, let's say, atypical. You don't want to put too much on Alejandro Kirk's plate, risk another injury like he had last season with the hip flexor, lost two months. Now it's like real disaster mode oh, yeah. if Alejandro Kirk goes down. No. So this situation is going to be very interesting to watch. We just spent time talking about the rotation and how it was somewhat underwhelming first trip through Blue Jays starters or need to be better going forward, clearly. And the catchers who handle them are extremely important. Like, think about Kikuchi, right? Worked with A.A. Jansen 
all spring on the many adjustments that that he's trying to make in the pitching lab in Dunedin. And now all of a sudden he has to get back up to speed with a Heineman, with a Collins, with a Kirk, like guys who haven't been working with him as consistently and aren't as familiar with him. You talked about the language barrier as well, right? Like Hakuji, Japanese, Kirk from Mexico, like two guys, English, not their first language, speaking through interpreters, Pete Walker's involved in there as well. Like there is a lot going on right now with this catching situation. So yeah, it's it's a it's a tough spot for the Blue Jays. Well, and you know, Collins was someone they brought in mostly offensively. I mean, they like yeah. that. There's some talk about, you know, DH or first base. It's not a guy that they wanted necessarily to be their second defensive catcher. Now, they traded Reese McGuire for him, taking the offensive upgrade, defensive downgrade. So now McGuire's gone, Jansen's hurt. So really a lot of pressure defensively on Kirk. I see Heineman at this point as an extra guy. I mean, maybe he proves us wrong. Maybe he has a great year. I see him as an extra guy at this point. And Collins is an offense first guy. So, you know, it's, it is an interesting mix, like you say. It's a lot of pressure on Kirk. This is the time to... Get what you can from Kirk. This is not the time to to hold back. You know, you you have to see if he can withstand the pressures of catching four or five days a week, and let him do that, and let him run with that, and we'll see where that leads for Kirk. But you know, as as you alluded to in your most recent piece at Sportsnet, there's also this this top catching prospect at AAA who we kind of have to have on our radar as this unfolds. Totally. And of course, he shows up in his debut on Tuesday night with a couple of hits and he's gunning out a base runner and like he's making nice plays behind the plate. Like, of course, that's the impact. I wonder if Gabriel Moreno had just a whale of a time getting to spring training, right? Getting out of Venezuela. He was, you know, in Colombia at an embassy for a while. Like he was being hidden at a hotel for a whole, like it was just a, an ordeal to get to spring training i wonder if he was able to report like at the beginning of spring had a full spring had all the games had his ramp up i wonder if that would change things yeah because right now he has literally just played his first game of the season one game if you're the blue jays like you're not going to have this guy playing one of his first 10 20 games of the season in the big leagues like it's just not something you're gonna do but i do wonder if he'd had a full spring and if he was in a better position right now just from a preparation standpoint and a rhythm and routine standpoint if the blue jays would be looking at this like yeah maybe maybe moreno's the guy right now i think that's a fair question i really do and i think you know as things continue here look there are a lot of scenarios that could play out i mean jansen can come back a little quicker kurt could hit and Collins could hit, and they could have the results they needed in the majors. Or Moreno could struggle. I mean, there are a lot of different ways this could play out. But if Jansen needs more time, and Moreno is really producing offensively and defensively at AAA for a period of weeks, you know, that could become a conversation. And, and again, that's just one of many scenarios here, because if he scuffles, then that's not going to be in play. If you're not going to bring him up to play once a week off the bench either, I mean, clearly... This is someone who needs to play regularly, whatever level he's at, because he's missed that time, not only this year, but but last year, um, he needs to get reps. So that's an important part of this. And you don't want to put too much pressure on him, but it's starting to get interesting. Like you just have to have that on your radar and just monitor how he's doing and, and how that could potentially complement what the Blue Jays have at the major league level. You look at all these pressure points, right? By the way, roster is going to go back to 26 
in a couple of weeks, right? Are you going to be able to carry three catchers when that happens? Seems pretty unlikely. You think about the pressure point of like catcher being the most difficult position to transition to the majors at. We all believe Gabriel Moreno is going to be really good, right? Like he's top 10 prospect for a reason. He's shown a ton with the bat, but it wouldn't be the most out of this world thing if he struggled to transition to the big right. leagues whenever that does happen. <laughs> if anything, that should probably be the expectation just based off of years and years of players making those transitions to the big leagues. And we know that the Blue Jays like think really, really deeply about how they advance players and progress them and when the time is right to introduce them to a new environment. I mean, AAA is still a new environment for him. Him playing... Um, his first game of the 2022 season at AAA, that would have been his fourth game yeah. <laughs> at AAA, um, right? So yeah, that's still a new environment for him. So just, oh man, there are, but the other pressure point would be it's win time. Yep. It's 2022, you're trying to go to the World Series, right? And you need impact on your big league roster. Like you need to be thinking about pushing as much talent onto this big league roster as possible. And when you're looking at a catching you know, group of Kirk, Collins, Heineman, Moreno. I mean, Moreno might be the best of that bunch. And so if you're thinking about putting talent on your big league roster and trying to win as many games right now and not like, you know, get be piling up losses at this point in the season, that's a pressure point as well. It really is like a fascinating situation and it really does show you like how quickly things can change in a major league season or you get like one injury and it just has these cascading effects, not just on everything we've talked about, but on the Blue Jays pitching staff as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I still think the most likely is he stays in AAA and does his thing. And, you know, maybe mid season, we're talking about a promotion for Gabriel Moreno, but you know, what if Heineman pulls a hamstring, you know, in two weeks and it's the end of April and they still have expanded rosters. Like, you could see some some interesting things happening there. Um, certainly worth monitoring. We'll be talking about it as the spring unfolds here. We've got lots more coming your way on At The Letters, including our over-unders. Those are in the works as we speak. That is on the schedule for next week. We've had people ask about them. That's awesome. We're excited to put that together as well. But in the meantime, that is it for us this week. Arden, you've got lots of games to, to cover and work to do. So we'll, we'll let you go here. Thanks for everything from you. Thanks to Christian Ryan, our producer, to Nick Andrade, and of course to Miller Lite, presenting at the letters to you this year, Miller Lite, the original light beer. That's it for this week, and we'll talk to you next week with our over-unders on at the letters.